I think at one point, maybe Sarah and I both said it, but we're like, if this helps us, it'll help everybody, right? And now I think wearing my URL hat on, we're a little bit more like, if this helps everybody, it'll help us. Hey, this is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm your host, Ambar Castillo. For years, Epicenter NYC has been a proud member of URL Media, a decentralized multi-platform network that includes high-performing black and brown news media organizations. And this month, URL is celebrating three years of hard work. Today, we'll share an excerpt from the Local News Matters podcast where URL co-founders, Dara Lomax and Esmitra Kalita, discuss the network's mission to support and empower independent media serving black and brown communities with host Tim Regan Porter. So why don't we start with just a little bit uh, about URL Media, why you started it, and I think you're coming up on your, what, three-year anniversary? So what led to the, the founding of URL Media? So Mitra and I met in 2019 at a program, uh, the Media Transformation Challenge program that was uh, at Harvard at the time. And we, um, it was a program for media executives, media leaders from around the world. And uh, we got a chance to kind of see each other in action over the course of this one-year program. And, um, you know, obviously 2020 was very momentous with the uh, the pandemic and the racial justice protests, et cetera. And so after the racial justice protests and a lot of institutional media organizations were really in the crosshairs, they were really being called on the carpet for their participation and complicity in furthering, promoting, co-signing systemic racism through through media. And um, I had been a media entrepreneur covering Black uh, communities and serving Black communities my entire career at the time. And still, I was running WURD Radio, which is a Black talk radio station in Philadelphia, which um, I've been running for 13 years. And Mitra had been uh, had launched her newsletter called Epicenter during the pandemic. You know, she reached out to me and was like, yo, you know, this is a real moment. Let's um, like what this is a time when we should really be thinking how we can speak into this moment. And we started talking about, you know, what could we do that would acknowledge that black and brown media entrepreneurs and content creators have been doing great work for decades, sometimes centuries, that have been underfunded, overlooked, um, not properly supported for a very long time. And these were organizations that were doing great um, content, they had audience, they had revenue models, but they were systematically under-resourced. And like my radio station and the other organizations that I have run targeting Black communities, like Mitra's Epicenter. And so we said, you know, what if we created a network of Black and Brown media organizations that would address the gaps that we experienced as media entrepreneurs to whether it's um, providing additional revenue, um, helping to amplify each other's content, you know, like helping to find great talent to, to support the organizations. And so finding ways to 
address the pain points that we had so personally and directly experienced in our own organizations? How could we be a value add to the BIPOC media ecosystem writ large? And so that's where URL Media was kind of conceived. I mean, I can I can fact check that everything Sarah just said is true. I think the the part that I'll just pick up on from her, it's like really important to hear that we're owner operators, that we we come to this problem running our own small news organizations. And so as we were kind of casting about for what to do, I think at one point, maybe Sarah and I both said it, but we're like, if this helps us, it'll help everybody, right? And now I think wearing my URL hat on, we're a little bit more like if this helps everybody, it'll help us, right? And so you shift from the small mindedness of running your own local news outlet, which, you know, the best thing in some ways about us is that we're small. Our communities know us, they love us. You know, I can put an item in a newsletter for the food bank up the street and they'll call me and say, we got six diaper donations. Well, that's amazing. Like, that's an incredible feeling. But on the internet, six diaper donations isn't a lot, right? And we're unfortunately beloved because we're small, but we're penalized because we're small. And so this idea of like, how can we scale ourselves without sacrificing who we are to our communities is at the corner of what we're doing. I think the other piece, and again, like in hindsight, you can reflect on things a lot clearer or with a little bit of, you know, we, maybe we'll sound smarter than we were in the moment. But, you know, what was happening in the summer of 2020? Like we were seeing the collapse of the scale play that many of us in digital media had been chasing. We had been chasing numbers on Chartbeat or Google Analytics, largely competing with ourselves, right? And maybe some other like kind of same stories on the internet all day long. Um, Those are not stories, you know, I say this because when Sarah and I started talking, I was at CNN, so I was acutely aware of the scale game. I think I was played a pretty good scale game. That's not really the answer to solving democracy's greatest woes right now. And so I do think that where URL shines is um, the trust of direct audiences. We really don't belabor this question of like, why don't they trust us? Why don't they love us? You know, like... Actually, I can't remember the last time we ever kind of got to that as in one of our member meetings or, you know, anything like that. That's just that's just not how we operate. But the uh, recognition where I was going with this was the recognition that, you know, we were chasing scale for clicks came just as the outlets that were providing that scale, largely Facebook, Twitter, um, were really retrenching their commitment to news and links. And I think now the ability to have created this network that leverages direct audiences as opposed to social audiences, meaning you're sacrificing your people to another platform and letting conversations and engagement happen over there, I think that's really helped us because we benefit from that trust and that direct relationship, which helps both the journalism but also the advertising. And how is the collaboration working? So how are you addressing those issues I can give you some examples on the content front. And some of these, like, you know, you asked how we selected partners. Like some of us 
have had working relationships with each other before URL media. And that's always helpful just because there's a trust and kind of a, you know, rapport with how you commit your journalism. So I'll give you one example um, that's focused on amplification and maybe Sarah might have some advertising examples. So uh, when we were in the vaccine rollout, uh, TBN24 is our Bangladeshi live streaming partner. And so we asked them, we said Epicenter is helping um, Queens and New York City residents really who are eligible to get their vaccine early. So this is restaurant workers, cab drivers, educators, uh, people in the health professions. Do you want to like put the link on your um, live stream? Do you want to mention it in your newscast? And maybe on your, uh, most of their live streaming is uh, through YouTube and Facebook if you want to put the link. And um, the link goes to a place where you could input your name and then someone will call you to help you navigate the bureaucracy that was getting your vaccine if you were one of these special categories. And I kid you not, you can't make this up within like two minutes of TBN24 putting this in their like network of two million across the world. Epicenter's um, Airtable started populating with Bangladeshi names. And our, our volunteer chat group, which was um, we over WhatsApp, so like multiple platforms, um, it's like, what's happening? We're suddenly getting all these names. And I was like, oh, that's our network. Meaning I might not have the cab driver who's Googling, how do I get my COVID vaccine in Queens? But chances are he's watching one of three or four Bangladeshi news channels or outlets right now. And I'm partnering with the one that got him to put his information in my air table. So that's like a very direct example where I just saw the power of the network. Sarah, do you have any advertising? I, I feel like there's a few advertising examples. I wondered if you might want to jump in there. Definitely our whole, the, the core focus on the advertising front is collaboration and, and, and network share, like, like capitalizing on kind of the, the, the power and the opportunity to reach these really diverse, dynamic communities in trusted environments. We've done, you know, um, I think that the collaboration piece is, it goes multiple ways. So we've had partners who've said, hey, we were approached by such and such advertiser, but um, we think that they'd be a better play for URL because they want more scale. And so we were able to take that lead and come up with a, a much more, I guess, national and, you know, geographically diverse proposal presentation that benefited not just that individual partner, but a, a variety of, of folks in the network. Um, similarly, I think that one example that I really love is Native News Online, we went, we were approached, URL was approached to go in and make a proposal to an advertiser. I won't say which one, to an advertiser. And so we like, it was like last minute, had pulled all nighters and put together this great proposal that went to the advertiser. And the advertiser turned around and went directly to Native News Online and tried to cut out URL media because they just wanted to work exclusively with native news. And we talked about it. We recognized and they recognized that the only way that they found this client found native news was through URL. And so we like locked arms and native news went back to this client and said, you know what, 
you got to work through URL to get to us. And they did. And so that was, to me, a really powerful example and moment of trust, solidarity, doing things differently, and recognizing that, you know, we're not going to allow people to kind of divide and conquer or, you know, try and cut either one of us out of the deal. That was just a, a really great early example of how we need to make sure that we're operating with integrity and our partners, you know, are operating with integrity, which they are. And and by doing that, we make each other stronger. You mentioned a couple of times the, the unique trust you have with your audience uh, that, you know, the the hand rigging that a lot of mainstream outlets do have, have been doing for a while now about the loss of community trust you're saying is not what we're seeing in ethnic media. So can you, for those of us who, who are, you know, mainly consumers of mainstream news, describe that unique relationship and the years of service and trust that has been built up? I'm a big believer that ownership matters. Um, and I think that when you are from the community, you know, so I think the big difference with a lot of our outlets is we're not just covering a community. We are the community. We are, you know, like when we talk about on WURD and in Philadelphia, when we talk about um, police brutality or community violence, we're not talking about it from an external perch. We're talking about it because we live in these communities, we are directly affected. You know, our hosts may have been stopped and questioned and frisked or, you know, like we are speaking from a place of uh, deep, deep understanding and, and experience. So I think that there's an kind of an organic um, empathy and just uh, awareness of the lived experience of our, our community that we that we cover and that we serve. And I think that um, that comes through in the the way that we tell our stories. And like for for like my station, it's a talk radio station. So we are in conversation with our community all day long. So you know a few years ago, all the rage was engagement and making sure that you are, you know, in touch with the people who you're, you know, like that was kind of the, the narrative of mainstream media that we've got. And that's something I think that from, you know, from the, the origins of, and I'll say black media, it's always been about service, engagement, you know, listening, and really making sure that the, the people who are closest to the the issues are the ones who are helping to come up with the solutions, like really empowering people and not just saying, oh, unless you have a PhD, unless you have, you know, this kind of lived experience, you're not qualified to speak about about these issues. And so it's really looking at prioritizing and and saying that there's expertise at all levels of experience um, and not just this very narrow kind of Western perspective of what, what is valid. So I think that um, that creates trust. Give me some th- your thoughts on how you and your partners and ethnic media in general can work with mainstream outlets and how mainstream outlets can work with them in ways that aren't extractive hmm. um, yeah. but the, and they're authentic so, and, and really in a spirit of partnership. 
Actually, one arm of our business, which we haven't talked about, is um, recruitment, um, executive placement, and, and really working with um, outlets. Started in media, but we've done a number of nonprofits, some financial institutions, um, and this has been a growing part of our business. Um, it's slowed down a little bit this year because of the labor market, but still a really vital part of our business, but also importantly, a part of our mission, to your point exactly, Tim, of how do we uplift our people, right? And so um, in 2020, you couldn't find diverse talent fast enough for all these positions. And so URL Media comes along, we uh, work with mainstream institutions on their searches, and it went well or it's been going well, but last year I would say a few things happened. One, we started to see that our own outlets had a talent crunch, right? Where they're looking for Everyone's looking for black talent. Well, what does that mean for Sarah, who's been hiring black talent all along, right? And so there was a little bit of a squeeze there. And so we started to help our partners at steeply discounted, sometimes even free rates. There's a few things um, to your question about being extractive. One thing is inevitably our recruitment team and myself, I work on a lot of these searches, find that the willingness to redefine a journalist or redefine a role to fit the right candidate. Ethnic media, community media, they just get it, right? They're like, I'm gonna give this person a chance. They live, to Sarah's early, what's one of the first things she said? If you're from here, you're gonna get it, right? And so there's a willingness to work with talent. That unfortunately has not been matched in mainstream newsrooms. The second thing is that our partnerships are inherently extractive because what happens when you partner with ethnic media, you might have failed to make community ties with one group of people. You're relying on another. And so there's something just inherently extractive about that relationship. Now, how can you fix it? One, money, right? I've never met someone who says, well, I don't want your money. Uh, in exchange for the services I'm providing, the value, the expertise. So I think that's one thing. The second is to recognize that community ties are decades, and to Sarah's earlier phrasing, centuries in the making. And so even within our own recruitment practice, we rely on community ties in Memphis or Philadelphia or you know the Inland Empire in California. And so if somebody gives us a candidate, um, that ends up getting the job or as a finalist for a role, we'll often send them a $500 gift card. Now, that's not, it's not going to sound like a lot, but I don't want to put people in the role of committing invisible labor that for so long we've all been um, exploited because we did the work when others failed to do the work, right? And um, I don't want to do that to other people. So I think one thing that's created a lot of goodwill is when people get those gift cards, they're like, I didn't know I was going to be paid for this. You know, and it changes how people see you because then they understand like, oh, it's not that I'm extract. Like if this was not necessarily transactional or extractive or this was a recognition of what I brought to the table. Right. And I think if we spin these to be a recognition of expertise and, you know, redeeming and validating as opposed to talking about what's wrong with everybody all the time, I think that would be a much better way to change the composition of our newsrooms.
What's the evolution you're seeing of ethnic media in the ecosystems? I think it's actually heartening that philanthropy is getting involved in the local news ecosystem. And, you know, certainly we and our partners expect to benefit from that interest. The challenge is that we still need to solve, to Sarah's point, for a number of systemic issues that are clearly not going to be solved by cosmetic diversity, right? So the last few years, making a pledge doesn't mean that you spent the money, right? Coming up with a supplier diversity program and saying you're going to favor vendors of color, as as we do, does is still going to contend with the affirmative action climate and the ban against DEI programs and, and that leg up, essentially, right? For a small business, and you know, I say this with a lot of knowledge because I've launched two companies in the last three years. If you want to be qualified as a minority or women's business, you need two years of tax returns. Eight out of 10 black businesses fail in the first 18 months. You don't even get to the two years of tax returns, right? So what I just rattled off are all literally systemic factors against the uplift of our people. It's actually just against like status quo survival of our people. And so my hope is that these efforts around local news and philanthropy don't separate that ecosystem, that kind of system that they're trying to operate within from what we have to surmount. Because at the end of the day, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars thrown at some of these organizations without accounting for that, um, I fear isn't actually doing much in the realm of saving democracy. To listen to the full conversation, click the link in our show notes or head over to localnewsmatterspodcast.com. And to learn more about URL Media and check out our fellow members, visit url-media.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. For more stories like this, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at epicenter-nyc.com. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Caravica. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description.